I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. They have won the Rachel Hayhoe Trophy. Well, haven't we witnessed some absolutely sensational test cricket? Ash Gardner, take a bow. Hello and welcome to Storylines, the women's cricket podcast. We've had a hectic month full of crazy cricket here in England and Wales. The 100 is over and the Southern Brave women and the Oval Invincibles men were crowned champions. Well, we're going to be diving into the final, the competition as a whole, our pre-100 predictions, which for some of us look quite good and for others, <coughs> myself, don't look that great at all. But first of all, we wanted to say a huge thank you to all the wonderful feedback we've had for our interview with Cindy Butts speaking about the ICEC report. We love seeing your comments. And on a personal level, this is the highest we've got into the cricketing podcast charts with that episode. So thank you so much. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back and listen. And if you want to get in touch, of course, tweet us at StorylinesPod or DM us under the same handle on Instagram. But first, as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Nikki Chowdhury. Good evening, Melissa. Actually, wait, it is evening, right? I don't know what time of the day it is. I've lost track. <laughs> I mean, you're, you have really been doing loops around the world at this rate, haven't you? At this point, it does feel like it. I yeah, it feels a bit messed up, if I'm honest. So tell everyone where you were two days ago and where you are now. <laughs> <laughs> so like a day and a half ago, I was in Miami. Fast forward, I'm now sat in Kuala Lumpur in the Times Square area. So yeah, it's uh, basically been halfway around the world in like a day. I mean, it's sounding pretty pretty fun. We're also joined by our producer, Matt. Matt, where have you been? Does it compete with Miami? Does it compete with Malaysia? You're looking at places such as Eastleigh, Basingstoke, <gasps> Andover, oh all of the great towns that Hampshire has to offer. You know, Miami Beach to the dazzling lights of Kuala Lumpur. It's not festival place Basingstoke, though, is it? <laughs> I agree. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not jealous at all. Although, you know, I've been getting up to my own antics, Nikki, because, of course, the end of the hundred 
means the hundred after party. And I saw some pretty horror photos going around on social media as well. So how was that? It was really good. I had a lot of fun. Um, you know, you do forget how much you're working during the hundred because it's not just those hours you're on air with the double headers where, bear in mind, you have very little breaks in that entire process, but it's the travel the next day and it's it's just been hectic. So it was nice to let loose. It was nice to have a little dance. Um, the Overland Invincibles boys, they absolutely had a boogie on the dance floor, I'll just say. Like, they were enjoying themselves nearly as much as me as when after about 45 minutes of holding up my phone with the words play Taylor Swift on we I I finally got shake it off and then yeah those three what three and a half minutes were an absolute blur to me was this the whole hundred one like the after party all the players are invited the whole comms crew goes everyone who's basically made the hundred yeah literally it was in a nice place in Soho went on till three so I can just say that I was not in a good way on the Monday but I'm here. I'm barely surviving. I've had my classic, you finished working on the hundreds, now you're going to get hit with a massive cold, um, which probably wasn't helped by the hundred after party. But you know what? I had the best time in the competition and following it. So let's talk about it now. First of all, let's talk about the final because it saw the Southern Brave lift the trophy third time's a charm. For a narrative on kind of what happened, it was pretty one-sided in the end. But at the start, when the Southern Brave, they were put into bat, they were eight for two. They lost the wickets of Maya Boucher and Smriti Mandana. So two of their biggest run scorers in the competition. It looked like it could be a repeat of the previous two years, but a brilliant 59 of 38 balls from Danny Wyatt, 27 from Georgia Adams and 31 of just 17 balls for Freya Kemp got the Brave to a score of 139 for six. Now, in reply, the Superchargers, they never really got going. The top score of 24 from Jamima Rodriguez, but she only faced 14 balls and she was dismissed after 73. She was completely starved of the strike and it just meant that the Northern Superchargers couldn't even get close in the end. There was three wickets apiece for Lauren Bell and Kalia Moore and three stumpings for Rihanna Southby, friend of the podcast. The Brave went on to win by 34 runs. And, well, Anya Shrubsoll got her hands on the trophy. Charlotte Edwards got her hands on the trophy. And there was brilliant celebrations at Lord's. I mean, the Southern Brave had a pretty impeccable run in the 100. It feels like the best team won, Nikki. It does indeed. And they've got to that position three times on a trot. And this time, just to get over the line, it must mean so much. The last two years, so close yet so far. And then this year, and I think for Anya Shrubsoll, it's a great way to end her career as well. I mean, you know, she's bowing out of cricket at the venue, at the place where she you know, almost won the World Cup for England in 2017. And, you know, I was there at that World Cup final. Loads of people I've spoken to were there. And they all agreed that it was kind of like a, a, you know, a big moment for women's cricket. They were there playing at Lords in front of a full house. So to have her bow out on that stage, holding the trophy... You know, there's been lots of talk about retirements recently, all started by Stuart Broad, of course, having the best end to his career ever, really. But then also the parallels of, you know, the likes of Stephen Finn just quietly kind of retiring after an injury picked up in a game of Alex Hartley, who couldn't play her final game of cricket. She wasn't even in the playing 11 and then it got rained off. Like, you don't always get that big glamorous retirement and I think if you would have asked Anya Shrubsoll she would have gone no you know I don't want the fuss in fact she did she's a very modest person but you know I think deep down 
so many people watching. I know myself growing up watching Anya play, just so happy. She she had that wonderful event to, to sign things off with. It was great to see sort of, I think you could say, you know, a real hero, an icon of English women's cricket in the last 10 years go out at the very top of her game in a manner that is fitting for, you know, a woman who got a six for in a World Cup final. It's clearly a player for the big stage and she did it again. And as a Southern Brave fan, you know, I was delighted. I was absolutely delighted. They seem to grow from previous years, like pain. As you say, Melissa, it's felt like the best team won. They were imperious in the group stage and clinical in the final. And, you know, there's so many names I've mentioned already with Smriti Mandana and Maya Bouchier, who were in brilliant form with the bat. Danny White did fantastic in the final. I thought there was a really brilliant comeback and a lot of maturity shown from Freya Kemp, who started the 100, I think, with her first five innings, not even getting her past five runs in the competition. She, she was in disastrous form. And, you know, there's pressure on her at the moment because... She was called up to play for England to play an ODI before she'd even played a professional domestic game of 50 over cricket. You know, she's got a really strange bursting onto the scene story. And because she's injured at the moment, she can't bowl. There's even more pressure on her batting. But I think towards the the end of the competition, we started to see Nikki, that true talent she really does possess again with the bat. Yeah, definitely. It just seems like she finally found her groove and she was able to then accelerate and get going so obviously no one really likes to hang around in those bad periods of time as well so I'm sure she's feeling a lot happier as well and I mentioned as well a friend of the podcast Rihanna Southby who appeared on our first ever episode you can go back and listen to that if you want to know where we came from here our roots she was also joined by Southern Vipers player Charlotte Taylor in that episode she had an incredible hundred campaign and there was lots of talk on where is it, whether there's any value in having a specialist keeper anymore in modern cricket. You know, does Rihanna prove that in the women's game in particular, there is such a big role to be played by those specialist keepers still? I don't think there was one day when Southern Brave played and Rihanna Southby's name was not mentioned. Like, it, she was absolutely phenomenal. And I'm sure she's going to look back on this year and her debut in the 100 as well and be very proud of herself it was just phenomenal like just the way she was behind the gloves and even top experts like the likes of Dinesh Kartik and the other guys all were complimenting her highly so you know you can trust yourself a little bit more when you do get praised by such greats in the game as well right she had a fantastic tournament and it was so great to see that the move for her leaving the Invincibles coming to the Brave actually paid off and her keeping was phenomenal her like her technique was impeccable. All that work she mentioned in that interview that she'd been doing over the As I said, it does show there is still a role for that specialist keeper because particularly in the women's game as well, where you do see the keeper stood up to a lot more seamers and those quick moments, those marginal decisions where, you know, you you get the big wicket of a, a big hitter, you know, by stumping them or just those reaction catches behind the stumps. We saw her particularly in that game against the Northern Superchargers. You know, there is such a big scope and, you know, she said she, she's obviously working on her batting still as well. But I think when you look around the country right now, in terms of specialist keepers, she's got to be up there pretty much just below Amy Jones, really. Her fundamental wicketkeeping technique is incredible. She stays so low to the ground. Her, her She seems so relaxed behind the stump. She's not tense. You never see her like grabbing at the ball. She's always so fluid. 
And I think that's what really sets apart the top keepers is that they don't look rushed at all. It's like good batters never look rushed. Good keepers don't look rushed either. To speak about another Southern Brave player who I think has just really come into her own is Lauren Bell. You know, she wasn't there for the first few games in the competition. She's been rested after a very intense Ashes campaign. But, you know, from a player who I've watched quite a lot play and when I started commentating in 2021 on Vipers games, you know, she did have these issues with controlling the ball. And even though she had that brilliant in-swing, you know, the radar was a bit off sometimes. And when it did go off, it went off quite dramatically. But I have seen no signs of that, really, in these last one, two years. And if anything, this season for me has just established her as England's next great you know she swings it a mile and she has the likes of Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson, Catherine Silverbrunt in the commentary boxes going look at this come on you know that is an absolutely unplayable delivery and I think you know she's developed that maturity and she's got and picked gone and picked up those tips from Anya Shrubsal now who's been a player coach at the Southern Vipers who's been captain of the Brave and I just I get so much you know hype when I see her bowl now because I'm like when the ashes come round again I know we've just had them I know it's weird to be thinking about the next one but I think she's gonna absolutely cause a storm 100% agree Overall, the competition, a resounding success. You know, there was record-breaking domestic crowds. There was plenty of thrilling matches. And I have a quiz for you too. To quickly recap the themes of the competition, and it's called Play Your 100 Stats Right. This is not one of your games again, is it, Melissa? (laughs) I'm too jet-lagged for this. I am too jet-lagged for this. (laughs) Look, there's no singing. The rules are very simple. There's 10 rounds. A coin toss will decide who goes first. I'm going to have to get a coin up on my phone because I actually don't possess any change. The winner gets to answer the first question. So if you get the answer right, they answer the next one too. But if you get it wrong, then the other player gets to answer the next question. And essentially, to keep it a bit of a trend, the correct answer in each round constitutes one of the two possible answers in the next round. So it's a simple knockout. The winner is the person who correctly answers the 10th question. Are you two ready? Okay, Nikki, I'm going to let you call. Heads or tails? Tails. And drum roll, please. It's tails. Are we ready? So the first question is about winning the toss. And the team is, who are the best tosses? (laughs) Of the two finalists, the Northern Superchargers and the Southern Brave, who won the most tosses? I'm going to go with the Southern Brave. Incorrect answer. The Northern Superchargers won the toss eight times. One of the highest in the competition. To contrast that with the poor London spirit who had a pretty shocking campaign, no surprise really maybe that they only won the toss one time. They fielded first and they lost that one anyway. So there we go. So, Nikki, I'm afraid. Question two goes over to Matt. Question two. It's about first inning scores. The average first inning score across the competition was 129. So staying with the Northern Superchargers, which team out of the Northern Superchargers and the eliminated Welsh Fire had the best tournament in respect of first inning scores? I think I'm going to go Welsh Fire. It is the correct answer. The Welsh Fire, well, they batted first six times and averaged 148. 
And the Northern Superchargers batted first five times and averaged just 125. Birmingham Phoenix, again, somewhat unsurprisingly, were the worst. They batted first, second, and they only scored 110 and 87 in two of their goes. So, Matt, time for question three. And this time, it's about squad consistency. So, staying with Welsh Fire, which team out of Welsh Fire and Birmingham Phoenix use the most players across the whole tournament? Birmingham Phoenix. That is correct. Birmingham Phoenix used 14 players. Welsh Fire used 13. I did a tight one there just to, you know, tempt, tempt you into the wrong answer. Southern Brave actually proving to be the most consistent across all the teams. They only used 12 players and to be honest, I think they would have used 11 if Lauren Bell had been available from the start, but Mary Taylor was that 12th player in the squad. So Matt, four is about the impact of overseas players. So sticking with Birmingham Phoenix, looking at overseas players, which team's overseas players scored the most PCA MVP points, most valuable player points? Sophie Devine for Birmingham Phoenix or Amelia Kerr for London Spirit? I'm going to go with Sophie Devine. It's Sophie Devine. Oh my gosh, Matt, I swear, you know, you and Melissa have like gone behind my back and actually like shared the answers here. At sorry, corruption, as a lawyer, I'm not up for that. I think, I think if there's any dirty play, it's all on Matt, not me. I'm, I've got clean hands, but it does mean that you get the chance to answer question five, which is about fielding. So sticking with the Birmingham Phoenix, did Birmingham Phoenix or Manchester Originals take the least catches as a team? I'm going to say that Birmingham Phoenix took fewer catches than Manchester Originals. Manchester Originals only took 13 catches. Birmingham Phoenix took 14. However, this alludes to a much bigger narrative because Manchester Originals, London Spirit, Birmingham Phoenix, Trent Rockets and Welsh Fire all took 20 or less catches. Oval Invincibles took 25, Southern Brave took 34, and the Northern Superchargers took 38. So you can see why Superchargers and Brave. So Nikki, your chance has arisen with question six, which is about power hitting. Sticking with the Manchester Originals, did the Manchester Originals or the Trent Rockets hit the most team sixes in the tournament? Watch how I get this wrong. I'm going to guess and go with the Rockets. The Trent Rockets hit 24 sixes, the most by any team. And to contrast that, the Manchester Originals hit the least. They only hit seven sixes in the whole competition and five of those came from Dotton. The Manchester Originals also hit the fewest fours, just 67 in the competition. And also compare that to Southern Brave, who hit the most fours, 135. Right, Nikki, question seven is about batting strike rates. In the last question, we learned that the Trent Rockets hit the most sixes, but which team had the higher team batting strike rate? The Trent Rockets or the Welsh Fire? I'm going to go with the Welsh Fire. (laughs) Only by 0.9. The Welsh Fire had the best team batting strike rate at 134.9. Again, to compare, the Manchester Originals had a collective strike rate of just 105. And next, actually, was the two previous year's winners, Oval Invincibles. Their team strike rate was just 114. Wow. 
Melissa, you've really been hating on the Manchester Originals just because I said that they were my dark horse and they didn't do well. Well, I will tell you that I did say that I did think they were going to win. So I'm kind of exposing myself a little bit here, um, accepting that maybe I made some mistakes in the past. But, you know, I was really backing them and I feel slightly let down. Okay, Nikki. Question eight is about bowling tactics across the squads. Out of the Welsh Fire and the Northern Superchargers, which team had the most bowlers with 10 or more wickets? Northern Super... No! No, no, yeah, Northern Superchargers. And you're correct again. Come up. What were you talking about at the start? You're smashing this. Northern Superchargers had three bowlers with 10 or more wickets. They were the only team with Georgia Wareham, Alice Davison Richards and Kate Cross. And Hyam and Smith both had nine wickets as well. The Welsh Fire only had one bowler with more than 10 wickets, which was Shabna Mishmail. Question nine is about new stars in the competition. Overall, there wasn't really that many young breakout stars so much in the sense we had an Alice Capsey, we had a Sophia Smale last year. There was very promising bowlers who started to show their skills like Alex Griffiths, Kalia Moore, Grace Ballinger, Hannah Baker. But you also had some more experienced players having their day in the sun like Fee Morris, like Holly Armitage, Katie Levick. The question is, there was only two players without international caps who made the PCA most valuable player top 20. Staying with Northern Superchargers, did Northern Superchargers or the Southern Brave have the highest ranking non-international player? Southern Brave. Georgia Adams was the number two ranked player in the tournament, whilst Marie Kelly was for Northern Superchargers was ranked 20. Here we go. Number 10, Nikki, is about the best and worst performers. So we've talked about some good performances, but not everyone can have a great tournament. Which overseas player failed to deliver the most for their teams? Which team had the most disappointing overseas player performances of the tournament based on the PCA's most valuable player points? Was it Trent Rockets? And Nikki, you have won this game. Harman Preet Court had a pretty dismal tournament and was ranked 82 in the most valuable player. Maitland Brown for the Southern Brave was ranked 75. She almost beat Harman Precourt's batting points. It was a pretty disappointing tournament for Harman Precourt, but you mentioned that her Indian teammate Smriti Mandana had a pretty good one, so it makes up for it. Well done, Nikki. Your award is getting to go to bed after this podcast is complete. Absolutely yeah. honoured, Melissa. If you got that question wrong, you best believe we were just going to keep you awake. <laughs> just... Yeah, I was just gonna keep calling you and calling you and saying Nikki I haven't spoken in ages I just really want to tell you about how my day has been I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is The Deal each week you'll hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. 
Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A few questions off the back of that. I mean, for me, we, we speak about loads of things again and again in this podcast because we love a nag. We love speaking about running between the wickets, pushing for those twos. For me, one of the biggest things in the competition was the fielding which has definitely improved. Don't get me wrong, we saw some amazing work from my Boucher, from Danny Gibson on the boundary, in particular from Lucy Hyam. But it did feel as though there was still some really disappointing moments in the field where, you know, playing in front of these big crowds, the teams maybe potentially just let themselves down a bit. Do you think, Nikki, this is going to be something that potentially will change? Because before this year and the years before, when these players weren't professionals, you know, they were getting home from work, going to training, and maybe fielding wasn't quite that first priority. They had to get their batting and bowling done. Do you think fielding, as we've started to see the signs of, is just going to keep getting better and better? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think A would be that players will have more time to allocate towards that, right? As you just touched on, players would be going back from work and then rushing to training, and then obviously you only have a certain amount of time to go and work on all your skills. But if now you're not having that other work element in your life and your job is just to be a professional cricketer, then throughout the day, you've got plenty of time to work on each skill set. So there's not really an excuse at that point. So you should be seeing all departments improving. And one thing which I spoke about a lot during the final was the way in which the eliminator was decided in the women's game and Matt I can see you nodding along what were your thoughts on you know the Welsh fire being eliminated essentially due to where they finished in the table of course acknowledging that the Northern Superchargers and Welsh fire had played earlier that week the Northern Superchargers won which is how they got to that second place in the table but we had a cooled off women's eliminator and the men's eliminator had all 200 balls played. Yeah, it, it just it just didn't sit very well with me. It was one of those things. I've seen this. I've seen it happen before on other double headers where there's a bit of rain or something earlier in the day, and the women's cutoff is so early, so so early. I think we're going to move on to a topic talking about steps that the ECB have made in the right direction in terms of equality between the men's and the women's game. But I think when you have a double header fixture, a real show of equality would be time out of the day's play would be time out of the day and so if you lose rather than completely wipe out one game and have one game in full maybe both games are reduced to 75 balls aside if it's the 100 if it's a t20 double header maybe both games are 12 overs aside for example rather than have you know a complete washout of a woman's game which was Let's be fair. I'm sure the Welsh fire absolutely devastated. They were flying in their first innings before the rain came. I can see why they I mean, do it. Yeah. There's probably commercial reasons at play, but I just think if you want to send a positive message, if you want to be the be the be the person making the change, I think that's got to change. I agree. I mean, they had provisions in place for the final, so that exact thing would happen. But that was just for the final. Those rules have been in the rule book the entire time. But I think, you know, the eliminator in particular is still a knockout game. To have one team's fate in the competition decided was felt really, really wrong in some ways. And hopefully, you know, for a competition based on gender equality, you know, it, it didn't feel very equal in the end to always have the women's game you know, most of the time suffer and then go on to see beautiful blue skies during the men's game. What's the point of having an eliminator 
if you're just going to rein it off. You know, if if you're going to have a special rule for the final, surely it should be every knockout game. You know, that really make it make if you're going to make the eliminator, you know, a, a big day as important. You know, it's like a, it's it is the eliminator. It's got its own special name. Surely it deserves its own special rules as well. I mean, it literally sounds like one of the robots in Robot Wars, like the Eliminator. Come on, you've got to live up to that title. And I don't know whether this year as well, there was a bit of a mistake, you know, not making the most of the bank holiday weekend. Could the Eliminator have been on the Friday, had the Saturday as a reserve day, play the hundreds final, obviously on the Sunday, and they had that reserve day on the Monday as well. You know, for me... Going forward, they can't let that happen again. It, it wasn't a good look. Nikki, what were your thoughts on it? I think what was more disappointing is the fact that because Welsh Fire had such a good season this year and for them to have got where they had this year, we had not seen that in the last two editions, right? Welsh Fire, especially last year, was pretty atrocious with their performance. So for them to fight back this year and play some absolutely amazing cricket, to get to the semis and then have it washed off it's like you worked so hard you've come back we've seen great performances with the bat and the ball it was just a very good unit I think the balance they had this year was like insane so then to go and do all that hard work and just have the weather take it away from you when I think the semi-finals there could be more leniency like I understand why they were strict but when it's down to those like playoffs and it's really the cream part of the tournament there should be a bit more leniency because it's just like kind of feels like it's gone to waste right i definitely agree but you know based on the table performances the northern superchargers you know they got through to the final but it didn't matter too much in the end anyway because the southern brave champions of the women's hundred and massive congratulations to them now a certain someone wanted me to bring up right at the end our predictions before the start of the 100 on who we thought was going to win. And now I'm going to put my hand up early and say the Manchester Originals didn't quite do it for me. Nikki, you went for the Oval Invincibles, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it wasn't their ideal year, was it? Two back-to-back years, and then this year they didn't even qualify within the top four. But one of us did maybe, and it pains me, it physically hurts me, it feels like there's daggers being shoved into my chest right now. Matt, you got it right. It feels good. How good is how good is hate? It's a really nice feeling from you guys. I could feel the animosity. Your two picks literally sucked this year. You know, it was really, really good to see. And Brave, they did exactly what I wanted them to do. They learned from their previous mistakes and they did. They climbed their mountain. Charlotte Edwards wins. That's the end of the story. That's always the answer in women's cricket. Charlotte Edwards wins. If only the listeners could see how proud and smug you look right now. And you've gone red as your T-shirt. <laughs> You're like, look at me in your face, you two. Well, Matt, congratulations. What a sad little life. You have the grace and decorum of a reversing dump truck, etc., etc. Right, the hundreds concluded. We're never going to do that predictions again until next year, maybe. We're back to Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy action with four rounds left and the final on the Sunday 24th of September. The Blaze sit at the top of the table on 34 points, followed by the Sparks on 27, Stars on 26 and Diamonds on 21. All that action gets started on Tuesday, the 5th of September. And England's women play Sri Lanka in three T20s and three ODIs. 
The big news announced the morning of this recording is that England's women and men will now receive equal pay for their international performances. This was one of the ICC report's recommendations and something we talked about on our latest podcast with Cindy Butts. If you haven't listened to this yet, then go back and listen. The report said that women were paid 25% of men's fees for white ball and 15% for tests by the England and Wales Cricket Board. I mean, this is fantastic news, isn't it, Nikki? It's absolutely brilliant. And when I saw that and you dropped it on the group chat as well and like Twitter seemed to have exploded, I did think that Cindy would be really happy. That's the first person I thought of. I was like, Cindy would be really happy. And they did, they, to be fair, they've implemented it pretty quickly. But that just kind of goes to say, surely that means they always had the finances to do that? Because you can't just suddenly go and find that amount of money and then just pull it out, right? They must, to be able to do it so quickly, that money must have been somewhere. I mean, there was a rainbow at the Eliminator, which went straight into the Surrey Pavilion. So I don't know whether they found that pot of gold and went, oh, hang on a second. We can equally pay the women's players now. You know, I mean, it, it's brilliant to see. And it was something we've had in the news recently with South African players, with the New Zealand players of having this pay parity. So it's brilliant to see. I hate to be the person who turns good news into not bad news, but, you know, kind of point out that the caveat to that is that England women don't even have a test match scheduled next year you know so equal pay for T20s ODIs fair enough the England women still don't play as many scheduled games as the men and they don't play as many test matches you know because of this announcement I feel like there should be a push for not just equal pay but equal opportunity as well and give the women the chance to earn that equal salary for a test match by giving them more test matches and encouraging and using the ECB's influence to encourage other national boards to play test matches against the England women. Absolutely. It's it's like you say, Melissa, it's one step here. It's like it's like two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, you can have equal pay and not just in white ball, but red ball as well. But actually, there's no red ball cricket next summer. It's like oh, they nearly got everything perfect. But as you say, hopefully we can maybe even in our own little way, exert a little bit of pressure or raise some awareness and get conversations going in the right places. Oh, when you said, you know, put on a little pressure there, I was like, are we having the first Storylines pod protest? Are we, are we marching through the streets of London tomorrow? It's going to be quite hard for Nikki. Maybe she'll have to join virtually. Hold up a laptop. <laughs> I could just do it down Kuala Lumpur. Like, I'll just do it here. I'll go on a solo protest. Everyone would be going, what's that crazy woman yelling, walking down the middle of the street? It's just you go, whoa, more women's test matches, more women's test matches. You'd probably get arrested for... I'd probably get deported, let's be honest. Yeah, maybe me and Matt will just do the protest. You you stay safe over there. Focus on your brilliant work you're doing on, on the microphone. But looking forward to this Sri Lanka series, we'll have a pod to bring you midway through reflecting on the game so far and who stood out in the series. England's squad for the T20s includes Heather Knight, Belle, Boucher... Capsi, Cross, Dean, Phyla, Mahika, Gore, Gibson, Glenn, Heath, Jones, Kemp, Wong and Wyatt. So no no Dunkley, no Nats of a Brunt and no Eccleston. She already wasn't in the squad, but of course she's now ruled out of the Women's Big Bash League as well with that shoulder dislocation. So wishing Sophie Eccleston a very speedy recovery and lots of luck with that. 
For the ODIs, Nat Siverbrunt returns, and so does Beaumont and Lamb, but then there's no Kemp, Wong or Wyatt. Nikki, who are you most looking forward to seeing in this series from those England squads? I'm going to have to go with Mahika Gore because the like the trajectory of her progress this year has just been absolutely ridiculous. Like It's just gone like whoosh. So I think to get that call up like by the end of the summer where she only just got her first professional contract like what a few months ago so I think that's incredible and it will be I hope she plays though she's in the squad I hope she plays it's a bit of a similar case like we had with Izzy Wong right she was in named in the squad throughout the season and then we only just saw her running drinks so hopefully as well for Izzy Wong then we do see her in England shirt otherwise I think I think a few pundits did touch on it that Perhaps her performances with the ball perhaps weren't as great because the lack of playtime she was getting. And she, I think she mentioned it on comms as well that she wasn't in the rhythm. And I think bowling is such an art that you need to constantly be in rhythm. As soon as you feel like you're a bit here or there, then things can go very wrong. And if you're not bowling enough, then you're more likely to fall out of rhythm. So hopefully she gets a chance to play and showcase her skills against Sri Lanka. And we got a message during one of the 100 games when the Southern Brave played the Birmingham Phoenix and Izzy Wong wasn't in that playing 11. You know, it was sent that she's working with the bowling coaches to look at her bowling biometrics and her run-up fluency, which for me just, you know, threw up a couple flags because your mid-season in the summer, your mid-competition as well, it felt like a really strange time to go away and say, look, we need to work on something because that's the kind of thing you work on over the winter. And just for me, as you say, she's not looked fluent Izzy Wong she's struggled but by putting her into this England T20 squad are you actually going to play her or are you just kind of you know bringing her along and and getting into that head a bit as well of you know they're still using her on the face of all the advertising for the Sri Lanka series I dread to think what kind of you know mental impact this is having as well with all that pressure from the media and you know she's she's done a brilliant job at building up her brand and she's a very recognizable figure but she's still really really young and you know I don't know whether for, for Izzy Wong we know what great potential she has we know what great pace she's got whether she just needs to have a bit of time away from that England camp and actually go back to domestic cricket go back to the Sparks and just you know play the four remaining rounds of Rachel Hayhoe Flint tr- trophy fixtures And next year, just have a chance to finally get into some rhythm because running the drinks for England the entire Ashes series wouldn't have helped much. And, you know, it is difficult not to be discouraged as a young player when you're not getting those opportunities, but all the focus is on you. So, you know, for me, I think Izzy Wong almost needs to be given that opportunity to just step back and find her game again. I don't know what you think. It's been a bit strange and I think it is a bit sad to see. And it reminds me of somebody who just stepped away from the game following, like, a really sadly sort of injury hit second half of their career, Stephen Finn. When he first broke into the England squad, he bowled quick. He was tall. You know, he, he everyone thought, wow, this kid's got so much potential. And for whatever reason, he was pulled, you know, he got dropped mid-Ashes series because his bowling was too, he was too expensive. He wasn't economical enough, even though he took wickets. It was those no balls as well, wasn't it? Of course, with that hand, the Graham Smith no ball, which again is a mental kind of obstacle to get over. Exactly. And it led to him being taken, like almost overcoached. And they, they tried to change his action and change how he run up. And it then meant that he was even more inconsistent. And that was his fallibility. He had these X factor deliveries, but he was not consistent enough. And by just trying to by just piling the more and more pressure on him to deliver on that one skill rather than focusing on his 
plus points. They, you know, he had to take breaks from the game for mental health. He was injured a lot, and I just, I, I really hope that we can learn lessons from how that young player was dealt with a decade ago to how Izzy Wong coming through now as you know, charismatic, talented, new face of women's cricket in England. She's not burnt out by all the pressure. And speaking of bowlers as well, of course, no Sophie Eccleston means that this is a really great opportunity for Charlie Dean and Sarah Glenn. You know, they really have a chance to shine here against a team who is incredibly good at playing spin. You know, we've noticed across the 100 that a lot of the pitches are quite worn out for those test hosting venues and 100 hosting venues that has been turned for them. However, a lot of the venues which they're going to be playing at uh, haven't actually been hosting the 100. They have been hosting one day cup games. So, you know, it'll be interesting to know how those two go along without almost, I don't want to say being in the shadow of Eccleston because I think they all complement each other really well. But almost having that real opportunity to say, look, this is what I can do. I can play that Eccleston role. Yeah, I'm sure they're gutted for their teammate Sophie Eccleston, but they must be excited at the opportunity to take take the, you know, the frontline spinning, spinning workload and show off their skills as you say, it is hard to probably, you know, to compete with the number one best bowler in the world all the time. If you think, if you're trying to sort of make your way in the game, especially, you know, Charlie Dean, who's quite, you know, new to the new to the circuit, I, I'm really excited to see how she goes in an England shirt against Sri Lanka. I think it's a huge loss for England, obviously not having Sophie Eccleston as your frontline spinner, but it's a good opportunity for other players in the pipeline to take that because... If you can perform then when your main spinner is not available, you might just really earn yourself a more secured spot in that side as well. So it's a great opportunity for someone who wants to take it to really go and showcase and put that work in throughout this series. And then you never know, once Eccleston's fully fit and back, you've got a good spin attack. You've got a strong spin attack. So it's really about taking those opportunities when they're there because someone's going to miss out as soon as Eccleston's back. But who's it going to be? Well, that's going to be decided throughout the, these opportunities now. And we mentioned Mahika Gore, the other debutant or potential debutant is Bess Heath, who didn't necessarily have a great hundred, but I'm a massive Bess Heath fan. As I've mentioned many, many times, I haven't quite got the poster yet or the pin badges, but they will be coming soon. I'm really excited to see what she can do. She's a big hitting player and it's a perfect opportunity for her to stand up and demonstrate that maturity with the bat. Sri Lanka has already played the England women's development side on Monday at Arundel, where they won by three wickets. Liberty Heat did top score for England with 30 off 22. But the Sri Lankan opening pair of Rishmi Rajapaksha and Shamari Atapatu got the visitors off to a great start with a 65-run opening partnership. We can't wait to see what's going to happen in this England-Sri Lanka series. It's being hosted at some brilliant venues who have always supported the women's game. And from what I've heard, tickets are selling pretty fast. Hove, last time I checked, only had under 250 tickets remaining, and that was a few days ago, so they may have already disappeared in Chelmsford, Chesterley Street as well, both looking like they're going to be quite packed out. I cannot wait. We've still got so much cricket to come. Nikki, you enjoy Malaysia, and you enjoy your sleep, because you really, really need it, and you deserve it. I'm going to enjoy Chelmsford and Chesterley Street. Matt's going to keep enjoying the beautiful sights of 
Hampshire towns. <laughs> and, and it's going to be brilliant. Remember to get in touch with us at Storylines Pod on Twitter or Instagram. And you can listen to the latest analyst inside cricket where Simon Squared spoke to Harry Brook. That's a must listen episode. Well, from us, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you soon. And good night. <laughs> Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>